the biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press Podcast with your host, Craig Needles. Welcome to the very first edition of the London Free Press Podcast, episode one of the show. We're so glad you could join us. This is something new we're doing at the Free Press. We hope you like it. We hope that it can be interesting to you as we dive deeper into the biggest stories going on in London. I'm glad that you could be along for the first show wherever you found us, be it Spotify, be it Stitcher, be it Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or even at lfpress.com or on YouTube. We're going to be on all of those platforms for you to hear this show. And the show is going to be focused on what's going on at the Free Press and the biggest story from the pages of the newspaper talking to the fantastic team of journalists that work there that bring you the very, very important stories that impact this community every day. We're going to be highlighting some of the biggest ones and having important conversations about stuff that you may not necessarily see on the pages of lfpress.com or in the newspaper, ways that you can dive deeper into the story. My name is Craig Needles. If you don't know me, I'm someone who has worked in London media for more than a decade. I've got a lot of experience on the radio side of things. The podcast thing is a little bit new, but I think we're going to be able to figure it out. And I think we're going to be able to bring you a show that you find to be invaluable listening here in the city of London. And to start on our very first show, we are so fortunate to be joined by Jane Sims, reporter and columnist at the London Free Press. Hey, Jane, thanks so much for doing this today. Well, hooray. This is a brand new foray. We're really excited about it. This is this is a nice addition to what we do. I'm so glad you feel that way. I'm really excited to be part of the team as well and add to the already incredible way that the people of the London Free Press cover the most important stories in London and the surrounding area. And of course, the most important story of 2020 is the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to talk with you today about the school aspect of the pandemic. It's impacting everything we do in our lives, of course, COVID-19, but school is a big part of that, how it's impacting the way kids go to school, schedules, things along those lines. We got some news this week that there have been a couple of cases related to school communities in London, the surrounding area. What's going on with that right now? Well, I, I think like anything, the, anything related to COVID and any any sort of step back into society that we make, we, we come into it with a lot of trepidation. And that's absolutely normal i mean there's no reason why we're not a little bit scared about going back to work and and going back out into the community and doing those things however i will say this i think that there was an enormous amount of work done on the part of the major school boards here in the london region and i'm really applauding the teachers and the students and the administration because they are adapting so if we look at it The way I've always looked at it, they're in the business of getting kids educated and they're going to do that the best way they can. They never said once that there wasn't going to be cases, but they were going to go after this in a way to mitigate as much risk as possible. And I think what we have seen is something very successful. My heart goes out to those who have been diagnosed and who have tested positive. But if we look at the big picture of it, we haven't seen that much infection in the schools compared to Toronto or Ottawa or places where there are heavy doses of COVID right now, around here, I think, and I hope, that we're adjusting and we're figuring it out. It's not normal, but we're figuring it out. Now, we've seen it in a couple of high schools. We've seen it at Banting now and at Saunders, and there was an early case at Beale. There's been a couple of elementary schools that have been impacted by this. But we're watching these cases move through, and most of there's only been one case, I believe, Dr. Mackey said, that is actually connected to someone picking up the virus at school. It's people who've gotten the virus outside of school. So 
I think that the school board should be commended for what they're doing. I agree. I think they've done a commendable job. In other communities, we've seen numbers that are higher than what we've seen here when it comes to spread within schools and things along those lines. So a uh, good job by local health officials and by school boards, but this virus can spread very quickly. So the work isn't done yet. I want to ask you how concerned parents are of school age kids about the virus right now. My kids are not old enough to be in school, so it doesn't really apply to me yet, but I know other parents are probably very worried about this. So where are people's heads at on that right now? And I'm at the opposite end. I, my <laughs> youngest of my two kids is in grade 12. So I'm I'm at the far end of this. I can I, I can only talk anecdotally. What I will tell you that I've heard I've heard various things from parents. And remember, parents had an option if they wanted to that they could go to remote learning. That is all set up too. But what I'm hearing from parents is that their kids are so much happier when they got back to school and they could see their friends and they could they could play with them. Like I heard lovely reports of the first day of school of of children who were just absolutely delighted to be there and they could hardly wait to go back the next day. And that tells you what the isolation and, and the, I don't want to say lockdown, but certainly the, the adjustments that we've made have done with kids. And they, you know, they're just happy to see their friends. Also, I think we need to give credit where credit's due, especially to those elementary school kids. Because what I'm hearing is that, you know, they're wearing their masks, mm-hmm. right? And they have a clear understanding of what's going on. And, you know, the teachers, I'm sure there are moments because there always is in, with classes and large classes and little kids and everything else. But for the most part, they've made the adjustment. High school, I would say, is a little bit of a different story in this, in this sense. Um, I know for my daughter, like I said, she's in her last year of high school. She is doing the quadmaster system that the Thames Valley Board is doing. So that means that you do two courses um, at a time, one one week, one the other, half online, half not. Uh, they're making an adjustment for the second quad. Can, um, and in the second quad, what they're going to do is, uh, um, is they're going to go uh, um, one day on, one day off, instead of uploading cohort A at the beginning and cohort B at the end of the week. For my daughter, it's it's been it's been a little weird because she has English and a spare, so she could go to school for three days, and then she's off for a week and a half, <laughs> which is, you know, which is okay. The one thing that I would say though is it probably does depend a little bit on the kid and what they're like because that seems like something that would make it very very difficult to get into a set schedule and a, a set routine, right? Right, and I think the experience of the school board was is that the cohort B kids felt like they were falling behind because they were later in the week. So they're going to go to a one day on, one day off. The Catholic board has, in what they've done is they've done octomesters where you do one course. So you do one course every day, mm-hmm. half in class, half out. Those kids just finish, and so they've already got one credit in. The other part of it is, is there's no exams. Nobody's going to be writing any exams. Now, there was much rejoicing in my household about no exams, <laughs> but... Um, you know, it's it's going to be a different kind of measure that teachers are going to have to use to figure out if, you know, how the kids are doing. And, and, and you know, it, it, I, had a, the, I had someone say to me that maybe now we might look at exams as a little bit differently now, that we can see that um, maybe that one-day pressure cooker that we put kids in to write an exam at the end of a term is not maybe the best way to evaluate them. Mm-hmm. 
which I don't think is a bad thing to come out of this, actually. I could not agree more with that. Everyone has different learning styles, of course, and for some people it's incredibly stressful to say everything comes down to this particular test on this particular date. Not necessarily for me when I was in school, because I didn't really care how well I did, but for some students. And I think that stress is not conducive to the learning environment and to keeping that information with you after you're done high school. Would you agree with that? Well, and, and also we, we've already figured out that there are, like you said, there are kids that don't learn the same way. Some mm -hmm. kids don't test well. Yeah. They just don't, but they're really good at other things. So we're learning now. Do I wish that my daughter was like at school every day and going to basketball practice and being in clubs and it's her senior year and doing all those things? Absolutely. And like all those things that make school fun, we've lost them right now. Mm -hmm. But, and that's what, that's what's making it hard. That's what's making it difficult. And, and I feel so badly for those kids. And I feel badly for those kids in first year college and university. Because that is such a magical time in your life. Mm -hmm. And we can't seem to get this under control. And, you know. Yeah, you only get, you only get that once. You know, you get that first year yeah. one time. And to have it be during this crazy whatever yeah. it is existence but, that we're in right now but craig that's why i say i think it was really really important to get the kids back mm -hmm. right i mean we're not dealing with the dumpster fire that is the united states right now where they the the, the, the cases like what what i was up to 30 30 uh, percent yeah. positivity rate something crazy like that right mm -hmm. we're dealing here with a situation particularly in southwestern ontario i mean we're not out of the woods we're far from it but we're figuring out a way to control it and we needed to get that going and we need you know i think i wrote this in the column you know i'm willing to do anything we can lock down everything else but don't lock down the schools let's keep these these kids going because they really need this right now i've talked to several doctors who have said from a public health perspective that keeping kids out of school might actually be more harmful than having them go to school in the midst of the pandemic just because it's so important for them, for their mental health, for their development, for their growth. It's something that you can't really replicate anywhere else. So Right. And it, also your your brains are only your your brains are forming, right? right? Like you're you know, this is this is, you know, I always remember a grade one teacher saying to me with my son, who's at college, but in grade one saying, you know, grade one is where the magic happens, right? That, you know, you, you learn to read and you learn to add and you learn to do the, the, the building blocks start. And if you miss that, right, and that's in every grade, you know, it's hard. It's hard to come back from that. Do you worry about the possibility, though, that schools may have to close at some point because case counts get too out of control? Is that something that's crossed your mind? Is that part of the planning process for you as a parent or for other parents in the region? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think you can you can erase that possibility mm -hmm. in all of this. But again, I will say this, <clears throat> there have been lots of contingency plans put in place by the school boards. School boards are in the business to educate kids, to figure out how they could move everybody to a, a remote system. And like, you gotta put a bit of trust in that, I think. I think you gotta sort of say, okay, yeah, all right. If it has to happen, which we hope it doesn't, but if it has to happen, We'll have to do well we've really learned how to roll with the punches here right so so but you cannot eliminate the idea given the craftiness of this of this virus given how contagious that it is given what it can do you can't eliminate that possibility that's true it's something we need to consider like you said it's a dangerous virus of course and it spreads very quickly that's what makes it so dangerous i want to ask you about western university and something you wrote 
uh, in the free press and at lfpress.com in regards to perhaps too much finger pointing going on in the direction of Western students, because there really isn't a lot that we know when it comes to how some of them got it. And I'm not saying we should know those things, but it's not as though we know for sure they got it at parties, they got it at bars and things along those lines. Do you think there's been too much finger pointing at post-secondary students, not just here in London, but around the province? Um, I think at the beginning of September, I was with the crowd of, oh my gosh, can you not figure this out, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, university and college students are going to do what they're going to do. Let's be clear, right? They weren't being safe. And they certainly showed that in that first week. They showed it completely by, you know, running down to Richmond Row and packing the bars and packing the patios. And, and you know, you know, I, I'm, an, I'm an old woman now. I, I, I've lost that sense of, who cares? Why am I getting sick or am I not, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, I, you know, I will say this. If we look at the FOCO experience... They figured it out, right? Mm-hmm. They figured it out for the most part. That thing got shut down. That got shut down without all of them having to go home. Because if you remember St. Patrick's Day. That was the first weekend when things were really bad, right? That was the first COVID shutdown weekend. And it was a ghost town. It was a ghost town down on Richmond Road, yep. right? Yep. If, okay. FOCO, they did the same thing, okay? <clears throat> so now we're in, a, now we are what? We're what? A month, month and a half in? We're seeing some cases in residences, and yeah, I was in residence. Yeah, you know, I get it. You still feel invincible, and there's going to be parties. But the disease is in the community, okay? It isn't a sense of, oh, all these kids from Toronto and Ottawa and everything else came to London and brought it here, right? I think that's what the sense was that I felt. It's like, oh, you know, I was, I was really angry about that, right? The disease is here. The, de- the disease spreads there are going to be cases. And certainly there are going to be cases in communal living like you see in residence. And honestly, given the activity that goes on, the cases that have happened at London Hall, okay, they've been contact traced, they've got people in quarantine. We haven't heard any more this week. Mind you, you never know. <laughs> as right. soon as I say that, we're going to have a big outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna knock wood right now and say that hopefully we don't have any more outbreaks, uh, anything like what we saw with some other universities, especially uh, some of the ones in the United States where there have been football teams that have had half the roster come down with COVID-19 and they're not playing because of that and postpone games. We don't have university sports going on here in Canada right now, but it's still a credit to uh, all of us, our, our health officials, I think, and people in this country that we haven't had difficult situations like that one. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take that as a win, I would say, and uh, a credit to everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Um, and also I was going to say something too about um, the fact that you know, communal living, right? We were talking about communal living situations. The one thing that both Dr. Mackey and Dr. Alex Summers um, from the health unit have said over and over again, the problem has not been places where there are protocols, right? Places where you have to fill out a form and swear that you're not sick and get your temperature taken. That's not where we're seeing outbreaks. Where we're seeing them is an unregulated gatherings of friends and family so i was thinking about this today about lambton county lambton county has seen an outbreak this past week a week after thanksgiving and that was a community that had one case i think on the weekend they spiked up to nine 
And I think that tells you something about the movement that was happening in the county and what they what was happening out there. I, I would be, I, I have no, no absolute proof of this, but I would hazard a guess it would have everything to do with families taking the risk and getting together for Thanksgiving. We're going to see, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little spike again that comes in the next few days simply from kids who went home to Toronto or to Ottawa or to wherever they went to for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and they come back. Yeah. And you know, and it's an unregulated unregulated thing. But my, my daughter, my daughter plays hockey, okay? And we go through, every time she goes to the rink, we have to go through a checklist. we got to figure it out. Temperature, you know, the whole bit. They haven't had an issue. There hasn't been an issue. Yeah. Same with the school. You go to school, they take your temperature. And you know, that's the same for my daughter when she goes to daycare is they take her temperature on the way in and then they make sure mom and dad don't go inside and they do the hand washing with the bacterial soap right before. And, and look, these things aren't necessarily foolproof. These things don't eliminate the possibility of COVID coming in, but you are increasing your odds while at the same time trying to live the way that we want to live. So let's continue to increase those odds for ourselves, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, do I, do I blame the Western students? No, no. but I, I, I think they, like, you know, Western's one of the few, the few schools in the province that is actually having some in-class uh, instruction. Mm-hmm. And they will tell you that that's not where the virus has been spread through. It's not through those in-class instruction situations. Most schools like Queens and I think uh, Windsor and um, I, I'll say Guelph even, I mean, they've already announced that they're going to go to a total um, online yeah, instruction next for the winter. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, we're learning. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, on the high school end of this, I want to ask about these one-off transmissions, because that's what it seems like they are. There's one person at the school that gets it, but it doesn't get spread around the school. And that's going back to the, some of the schools that you mentioned earlier in the podcast is we're not seeing the, the, the big major outbreaks. And that's really the best you can do is find, okay, this person has it. Let's make sure they're not coming to school anymore. It's like, let's make sure they're not giving it to anyone else. And I really think that under these circumstances, that's the best you can do is increase your probabilities of making it so there aren't these big outbreaks because you don't want to necessarily just say, hey, school is done, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know if it says something about London or not. I mean, I think we're rule followers, don't you think, Craig? Yeah, maybe we are. uh, Perhaps not when we're driving, but when we're doing other things, right? I, I, I do think it does say good things about the community, though. I think you're right. And I know there's a lot of negativity about health leadership in this community. I get that. I was part of that for a while. And I, I stand by a lot of the things that I've said. But even though it hasn't been perfect, I think we're doing okay. And we're, 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 we're figuring things out. And we haven't seen these big, massive outbreaks. So since we're doing all right, I, I, I will take that as a, a positive sign going forward. And hopefully that continues. Anything else you want to add on COVID-19, Jane, before we wrap up here today? Well, I, I think this, Craig, I, th- I think we're now entering into a period where we've all entered into some COVID fatigue. And, there, mm-hmm. there was, and I was actually reading a lot about it on the weekend. You know, we're tired. <laughs> Let's be fair. Yep. We're all pretty tired of this. And, you know, I don't want this to be the new normal. I just want this to be a hiccup in 2020. And, you know, I'll be sweeping it out the door on January 1st and saying goodbye to it. Right. Hope so. I really, but, really well, hope so. Oh, but you know, I, I, 
there, there's an issue that I think we're going to have in the next few months. I mean, we get winter weary to begin with, but now we're co- with this with the, with COVID fatigue, it's going to be even worse. And it's, I think we're really going to have to support our schools in particular to keep kids going, keep ourselves safe, wash our hands, mm-hmm. wear our masks, keep socially distant, and for a few more months. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to support each other in doing that. And, and that's, that's going to be really, really important at this point because we're tired. Yeah, we're definitely very tired, I would say. And I, I'm worried uh, that it's going to get worse. We're going to get into the winter season, that backyard barbecue you used to be able to have with friends. You're not going to want to do that. It's going to be too cold. And that patio you'd meet up with your friends at, that's not going to be an option either because it's going to be too cold. We're not going to be in patio season anymore. So I'm, I'm, I'm worried about what will be a lonely winter. I'm kind of bracing myself for lonely winter, but we have to continue to follow these rules otherwise this whole thing's going to take longer it's going to get worse and more people are going to get sick so like i said i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what i can here i'm, I'm bracing myself for it I'm, i i know it's going to be tough but i'm uh, I, i'm ready to go if it is very very tough you know <laughs> well i'll say this too i mean i think you're going to see some pretty creative things going on as far as keeping people outside mm-hmm. i don't think you can find an out- outdoor patio heater anywhere in the city yeah. let alone within 100 miles of here um and I think it's going to be important for us to support local businesses because we're going to lose some. There's just no question that we're right. going to. And it's, it, that's heartbreaking. It uh, definitely is heartbreaking, and uh, this may be a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, but uh, uh, this is a situation where... I know that there's the multinational companies that ship everything right to your door and it's easy and it's convenient, but that shop down the street, they need your business more. Those multinational companies are, are, are raking it in during this, but that shop that doesn't have the robust shipping probably could use uh, your help the heck of a lot more than uh, those big time companies, I think is, uh, is very fair to say. And that's one way to keep business open. Plus, when you go shopping at those places, they've all, all got the safety uh, rules and regulations and everything in place. They've, they've got the shields uh, and the, the, the plexiglass barriers for, for the cashiers. Of Masking, of course, is part of it. Uh, hand sanitizer on your way in, social distance shopping. So there, there's ways to do that that, uh, uh, that make it safe. Like I said, this is a whole thing for other podcasts, but try to shop locally at those places because that's definitely a, uh, definitely a big help. Absolutely. Cool. I think Halloween's out. Yeah, I think Halloween is uh, absolutely out. And I've got a little girl who is just sort of understanding what Halloween is. And I think she's going to be a little bit bummed when we don't go around and go get candy. But it's really just not what we're going to do this year. She has her Peppa Pig costume, though. So she's uh, she's ready to go. I think she's in a good spot. Excellent. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> Jane, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for being part of the inaugural London Free Press podcast. It was great to have you on. And we'll, uh, I'm sure, do it again very soon. Thanks for this. Thanks, Craig, and I'm so happy to be a part of this, and welcome aboard. Thank you so much. That's Jane Sims, a reporter and columnist with the London Free Press. Of course, you can read her reporting and her columns about what's going on with COVID-19 here in this community. And in pre-COVID times and even during COVID times, uh, Jane's usual uh, responsibility is uh, covering what's going on in the court system here in London, the surrounding area. And you can read that coverage on lfpress.com as well. That is all the time we have today for episode one. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of it. We'll be back at you on uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. I think those are going the days that we're uh, published in the podcast and i hope that you can uh, tune in of course you can subscribe on spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, google podcast uh, youtube and you can go to lfpress.com to find us we're all over the place it's the london free press podcast episode one of the books thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you next time have a great day <laughs>